from the Alaska Airlines Studio. Presented by 2020lifestyles.com. This is The Blitz. The first look at the top stories in Seattle sports. They don't make them like us. We're not like everybody else. The rundown on everything Seattle sports on your way to work. Swing and a fly ball. Deep right center field. He did it again. And the stories everyone is talking about. This is the Blitz at Six. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Blitz at Six. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Monday, July 13th. Thanks for hanging out this morning. It's going to be a jam-packed one. We got to hear from Pete Carroll last Friday, right before the weekend. So we want to review some of that sound. He spoke with 710 ESPN Seattle, our own John Clayton. His thoughts on camp approaching, it'll surprise exactly no one that Pete is uh, fired up and jacked up, but what it's been like through all this uncertainty, having a virtual offseason, also how he feels about a potential late July start if the league needs to wait a little longer, health and safety being a huge concern. Also, Pete's thoughts on the defense this offseason and in his, uh, his words, Going after the issues on defense this offseason, we'll hear from him on that. Plus, on the Let Russ Cook crowd, um, as for the NFL, they've got some big questions still to answer, and some of those will be discussed with the NFLPA today. We'll go through some of the issues that still need to hammer be hammered out before training camp starts. Plus, another Kyle Lewis home run. It's another day that ends in Y, right? This time off Marco Gonzalez yesterday in the team's intra-squad game. Start date is creeping up on us, so we'll hear from Marco from Scott Service on getting ready for it this season here, too. All ahead in this hour right now, let's get to your headlines. Pete Carroll, his feelings on camp approaching. Even though there's a lot of uncertainty, uh, he hopes that the NFL will learn from the example set by the NBA and the MLB. Well, you know, this is a, what a challenging time, John. You know, we, we're all in and we're going through it. And, and it happens to be when we're talking football now that, you know, this this is a major undertaking that we're, we're preparing for. Camp is just around the corner uh, um, with the, the start times that it appears to be that we're heading towards. Um, there's such a tremendous amount of uncertainty. Um, yeah, you know, we were really counting on learning a lot from from the NBA as they started up, but it, their start has been somewhat delayed. You know, they're just getting going now. We They're heading into it like the first of the month. Uh, baseball is underway as well, but they've had a somewhat of a slower start. We're hoping to learn, you know, as they went through their process. We'll discuss the timing issues just a little bit later. But first off, Pete Carroll on feeling like they've had a really productive offseason for the Hawks. Just so happens that it was done virtually. We have had a really uh, a productive offseason. We, you know, we had no idea what it was going to be like to go virtual. And, and we, you know, we had to make it up as we went. Just like we made up the draft at home, we made up uh, the virtual offseason got really creative and, and everybody was really engaged and, and, and to our surprise um, it went really well and so that means that with all of the learning that we could do and all of the sessions that we could go through we went through them and, and uh, as well as all of the growth things that happened with the challenges that are going on in, in, in our society and around us and, and all of the racial issues that we've been dealing with we've had a lot we had a lot of opportunity to interact and it just happened to be virtually as for building the team and really concentrating, focusing on the defense this offseason, here was Pete's comments on that. We certainly went after the, the issues, you know, and, and uh, it didn't work out right. And he wasn't able to, to get the true form at any time last year because of his, his shoulder and all of that. We did not get the production on the edge that we wanted. And so we went and addressed it, 
getting getting Bruce Irvin in the program was really important for us because Bruce can play the same spot and he's been a Leo, he's been both. And so that gave us, you know, a, a sense of security that we had some flexibility from the start. But then to, to get Benson Mayoa to come in, who had a, a very solid year last year at Dallas with, with eight sacks or so, uh, um, and, and he's played the position, uh, the Leo spot. And then to draft and hit two guys in the draft that we really like and they're really pass rush oriented guys that can help us speed wise and, and in the rotation. It's going to be a great competition. We've had a couple of reunions the past couple of years here in Seattle. Bruce Irvin. Heading back to Seatown and Pete Carroll on where Bruce will settle in. And Bruce is going to go, is, will settle in at the Sam position for us, which is great. He knows how to do it. He's really well equipped and he can be a third down and nickel rusher. Uh, so we'll have a good rotation and, and uh, we should be much improved in that regard. Still staying on defense, Pete also really excited about draft pick Jordan Brooks. Really excited about, you know, by getting Jordan. I think he's going to be a fantastic addition to us. We'll find out how it goes. It's going to take a little bit of time. We haven't been on the field for a step yet, so we don't know until we get out there. But everything that he's done and how he's demonstrated his learning ability uh, and taking to the system and all shows us that he should be right in there ready to contribute, and it just makes us competitively better, and, and that's that's the whole idea. Seahawks head coach on tweaking the secondary a little bit, too. And Marquise Blair, a name that's been brought up uh, a lot in the past year, wondering maybe why he wasn't getting – uh, as much playing time or seeing him as much out on the field, but he said this this year he should be a factor. You know, a couple of tweaks there and, and, and on the back end too, and, and uh, the competition should be uh, up. You know, Mark, Marquis uh, Blair coming together for us, physically ready and all that to hit camp and with with all the background learning should be a factor for us out of last year's draft and, and away we go. So we're really pumped about it, John, and I don't I don't see it any other way. Uh, and I don't see anything to stop us from, from being really improved on defense. Pete Carroll also with some comments on the offensive side of things on the Let Russ Cook crowd. Russell is at the best of his game that he's ever been in his command, his control, his understanding of everything that we can put forth for him allows him to be, to be, I think, at the best he's ever been. And, and in that, um, and we want him to have more opportunity to, to be the factor in the game and control the game. But John, you know, in, in just football in general, that doesn't mean that you that you throw the football all the time to do that. We need to we need to be a really good functioning team that's hard to beat because we because we're so good at the things that we do. That means that you have to have balance in your game. Speaking of that balance, Pete Carroll more on trying to maximize Russell's ability with balance. Look at all of the successful teams that, that won all these games again last year. It, all of them were balanced teams. So that's, we're not going to take anything away from Russell's ability to produce. We want to maximize his, his, his opportunity. So whatever this Russell Cook thing is all about, I don't know what that's about, but uh, he is at his best. He is in the most command he's ever been. And uh, he and Shadi, the offensive staff, they have worked this offseason, I think, in, to a, a point where we are ready to unveil it, uh, the best version of us. And so um, that means the best version of us. And so he, he's having uh, his workouts. He's working out with guys at, every day at, at his place down, down in the San Diego area. Uh, he's been very consistent, as always, and he's ready to roll. 
Still some big questions facing the league, facing the players, if and when NFL players will report to training camp. Just one of many answers the NFL still has to come up with. The league has been proceedings if the regular season and training camp will proceed on schedule. That would mean several teams reporting to camp on July 28th, not that far off. But is that feasible considering the spike of coronavirus cases in several states, also the health and safety protocols of a lot of local governments? The NFL and NFLPA management councils are expected to meet today, according to ESPN, to discuss several contingencies and details surrounding their return to work. Pete Carroll had some thoughts uh, last week, too, with the professor, and he said he wants the NFL to take their time deciding how to proceed. Uh, I'm, whatever we need to do, do this right is, is what I hope we do. And so um, I know everybody's working on it. The league is working. They're, you know, they're going 24 hours a day, it seems, to just try to figure it out and stay ahead of stuff. But right now, if we got to slow down a little bit, uh, to get started, that would be okay. You know, there's a lot of unsettled issues right now between the league and the players. You know, we don't know exactly when, when, uh, you know, how the camp's going to be and all of that. We're trying to make those decisions. And as we zero in on it and we gain all the information, um, we need to do this as well as possible so we can put out a great product and really, you know, put our best foot forward. So if we got to postpone, then whatever. I don't know. I don't hear anybody talking about that, but I can see us just waiting a little bit and, and uh, we'll see what happens. Pete also saying protecting players and people is their priority. If they need to delay starting um, camp in order to do that, that's all right with him. The NFL and NFLPA have had preliminary negotiations proposals and even counterproposals bounce back and forth over the past couple of weeks. But sticking points remain. Players want testing every day and no preseason games. The league wants testing less frequently than the players, uh, perhaps every other day and two preseason games. Um, um, some other things that still need to be hammered out, what the acclimation or ramp-up period looks like. Players really want a slow ramp-up from working out to taking the practice field to avoid injuries and get comfortable in the new working environment with the new health and safety protocols. Also, opt-out clauses. What will those look like? What happens uh, to a player's contract if he decides to sit due to COVID-19 concerns? Does he get an accrued season? Whether trimming the 90-man training camp rosters to avoid unnecessary contact is the right thing to do. A lot of people threw out figures, 75, 80 players may be invited as opposed to the typical 90. Also, equipment modifications. Players reportedly lukewarm about wearing masks over their helmet bars while the NFL has been working with Oakley on a design for that. And then the economics of it, which, of course, is a big question. We saw what happened between baseball and the players. Now, that's very unique because there's no salary cap in baseball. But the NFL still has to answer some questions. How to share lost revenue with players knowing they have to take a loss somewhere to offset the lack of fans in the stands. That's uh, at least what most people are assuming. We've, of course, heard Jacksonville uh, come out and say that they are planning on having perhaps 25% capacity, but most teams perhaps planning and moving ahead as if that is not a reality. Uh, the league's offer to place 35% of player salaries in escrow was considered a non-starter. So how will they approach that challenge and how will the salary cap look? That's just a few of the questions that still need to be answered uh, in that meeting today. Coming up on the Blitz, also a huge announcement for the Pac-12 at the end of the week. Uh, what will this mean playing just a playing no non-conference schedule and what it could mean for college football if there are more announcements coming. It's next on The Blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle.
From the Alaska Airlines Studio, this is The Blitz. Welcome back to The Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you. Monday, July 13th. Some big news in the Pac-12 at the end of the week, heading into the weekend. We knew that the a day after it really after the Big Ten made their announcement that they would go to a conference-only schedule in all sports this fall. The Pac-12 voted to do the exact same thing on Friday. It was a virtual meeting of athletic directors, university presidents, and conference officials that made the final call, and the Pac-12's decision will delay the start of fall seasons, including football. One of the big reasons the Pac-12 decided to push back the start of the football season was a concern that some of their member schools, particularly UCLA and USC, would not be ready to play in early September because of a spike in coronavirus cases in the the greater Los Angeles area. According to the ESPN report, the Bruins were slated to open the season against New Mexico State at home on August 29th. The Trojans were scheduled to open against Alabama at AT AT&T Stadium in Arlington, Texas on September 5th. The Pac-12's decision to play only conference games also means Notre Dame will not face USC for the first time since World War II. Irish and Trojans have played each other every season since 1926, except for 1943 through 1945 because of the war. Notre Dame will also lose its rivalry game against Stanford, which has been played every year since 1988, a couple of exceptions in 95 and 96. And because of the Big Ten's decision, they had already lost their game at against Wisconsin at Lambeau Field in Green Bay. So their schedule, huge up in the air right now. The decision for the Pac-12 also includes men's and women's soccer, women's volleyball, and the league said it was delaying the start of mandatory athletic activities, quote, until a series of health and safety indicators, which have recently trended in a negative direction, provided sufficient positive data to enable a move to a second phase of return to play activities. The league said student athletes who choose not to participate in athletics during the upcoming academic year because they have concerns health and safety about COVID-19, they'll continue to have their scholarships honored by the university and remain in good standing with their team. Meanwhile, also Pac-12 Commissioner Larry Scott tested positive for the coronavirus and is currently self-quarantining. We learned that uh, last Friday night in its statement, the Pac-12 said Scott, uh, 55 years old, experienced mild flu-like symptoms late last week and was tested uh, out of an abundance of caution. He is self-quarantining at the direction of his doctor and continuing to work remotely as normal. So wishing all good uh, things to him. What about other conferences? Officials from the ACC, Big 12, and SEC, they reportedly told ESPN on Friday that they'll wait until the end of July to make a decision on scheduling for football this fall amid COVID concerns if the season can, in fact, be played. SEC athletic directors are scheduled to meet today at the league's office in Birmingham, Alabama. ACC officials also scheduled to meet this week. We heard from Ohio State athletic director Gene Smith last week that he had concerns about false morts happening at all wait for it we still got california love playing in the background which is never a problem but if we have to hear a gene here here he is ohio state athletic director i am very concerned i think in our last conversation i was you know cautiously optimistic you know i'm not even there now so i am concerned that we may not be able to play uh, which is why we took the measure that we took in order to try and have september available to us or conference games and, and give us the flexibility and control to handle disruptions uh, if we're able to start a season. We uh, just didn't respond to our opportunities uh, that were provided to us. 
people need to, to follow the protocols and give our kids a chance to, to compete. Heather Dennett, who does an excellent job covering college football for ESPN, she said at this point college football is clinging on to hope and some of these conferences trying to buy time uh, with that decision for no non-conference games. She also said that she doesn't feel confident saying that we have college football in 2020. I I can't say yes with a straight face. Well, I I can't. I mean, I don't don't see how you can – safely play college football at this point for all of the reasons that you mentioned. We're talking about voluntary workouts. They haven't even lined up against each other. I mean, I talked to Navy coach Kenny Amatololo last week about how do you practice football during a pandemic logistically. And he told me that we might, through the whole thing, never do team drills. We might only do individual drills the whole time, which he said is like practicing, rehearsing for a play with everybody practicing by themselves, and then you go on stage. Um, he said he's trying to get as creative as possible, putting, thinking about putting football players in, in the practice stands with a whiteboard down to have their meetings, having every single meeting outside if it's not on Zoom, even though the guys are on campus. So logistically speaking, I think it's going to be extremely difficult um, unless you are totally rewriting how football is done to do this. But then even if you manage that, as you mentioned, they're college students. Coming up next on The Blitz, Pete Carroll joined our own professor, John Clayton, last Friday to discuss working on the defense of this team in the offseason, but also with some thoughts on the offense and the let Russ Cook sentiment. It's next on The Blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to The Blitz from the Alaska Airlines Studio. Welcome back to The Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Monday, July 13th. Thanks for hanging out this morning. Pete Carroll speaking with John Clayton, our own professor, last Friday heading into the weekend. So in case uh, you missed that interview, the full thing is available for you at 710sports.com. But wanted to play a little clip of it where Pete discussed the offensive scheme and the let Russ Cook crowd. All the people talking about let Russ Cook. Where do you stand on that? Because uh, I know running the football is such an important thing in your uh, in framework for winning. Not making turnovers is a big thing and winning the turnover battle. Where we are right now it was, as a club, you know, our guys are really, everybody's the coaches, players, fans, everybody's chomping at the bit to get started and we want to do it. Uh, um, in this case, I'm excited about the team, John. You know, Russell has has been uh, in a great leadership position throughout uh, the off season. He has been such a central part of it. You know, with all the communications and movement, and you know, two minute drills and, and, and you know all of our sequencing of all of our play calling in, in different situations on the field. And Russell has been right in the middle of it. Russell is at the best of his game that he's ever been in his command, his control, his understanding of everything that we can put forth for him allows him to be, to be, I think, at the best he's ever been. And, and in that, um, you know, we want him to have more opportunity to, to be the factor in the game and control the game. But John, you know, in, in just football in general, that doesn't mean that you, that you throw the football all the time to do that. We need to, we need to be a really good functioning team that's hard to beat because we because we're so good at the things that we do that means that you have to have balance in your game look at all of the successful teams that that won all these games again last year 
all of them were balanced teams. So that's, we're not going to take anything away from Russell's ability to produce. We want to maximize his, his, his opportunity. So whatever this Russell Cook thing is all about, I don't know what that's about, but, uh, he is at his best. He is in the most command he's ever been. And, uh, he and Shadi, the offensive staff, they have worked this offseason, I think, in, to a, a point where we are ready to unveil it. Uh, the best version of us and so uh, that means the best version of us and so he he's having uh, his workouts he's working out with guys every day at, at his place down down in the san diego area uh he's been very consistent as always and he's ready to roll and so uh i'm really excited about it we'll see what happens see what the rest of the league has to offer hopefully we've made the most of you know our chances to be as good as we can possibly be coming back and then finally, how about the defense? I mean, how different is this defense going to be? Because last year, you know, Ziggy Ansa was hurt uh, you know, all through training camp and struggled. Uh, and, of course, you know, you really didn't have any real true Leos. Now you have four options at the Leo position to rush the quarterback, you know, along with, you know, the five techniques and everything else loaded at the linebacker <clears throat> position where you have four outside linebackers competing for two spots. How do you feel about the defense? Well, you, know, you can see that we certainly went after the, the issues, you know, and, and uh, it didn't work out right. And you know, he wasn't able to, to get the true form at any time last year could, because of his, his shoulder and all of that. Um, we did not get the production on the edge that we wanted. And so we went and addressed it. Getting getting Bruce Irvin in the program was really important for us because Bruce can play the same spot and he's been a Leo. He's been both. And so that gave us you know, a sense of security that we had some flexibility from the start. But then uh, to get Benson Mayo to come in, who had a, a very solid year last year with Dallas with eight sacks or so, uh, um, and, and he's played the position, uh, the Leo spot, and then to draft and hit two guys in the draft that we really like and are really pass rush oriented guys that can help us speed wise and, and in the rotation. It's going to be a great competition for for the playtime uh, situation. I think Bruce is going to go is, will settle in at the Sam position for us, which is great. He knows how to do it. He's really well equipped, and he can be a third down and nickel rusher. Uh, so we'll have a good rotation, and and uh, we should be much improved in that regard. Really excited about you know about getting Jordan. I think he's going to be a fantastic addition to us. We'll find out how it goes. It's going to take a little bit of time. We haven't been on the field for a step yet, so we don't know until we get out there. But everything that he's done and how he's demonstrated his learning ability uh, and taking to the system and all shows us that he should be right in there ready to contribute, and that just makes us competitively better, and, and that's that's the whole idea. Um, so uh, you know, a couple of tweaks there and, and, and on the back end, too, and, and uh, the competition should be uh, up, you know, Mark, Marquis, uh, Blair coming together for us, you know, physically ready and all that to hit camp with, with all the background learning should be a factor for us out of last year's draft. And, and away we go. So we're really pumped about it, John. And I don't, I don't see it any other way. Uh, and I don't see anything to stop us from, from being really improved on defense. And, uh, and I'm excited about what's going on offense. So at this time of year, and I don't think it's any surprise to any, any of your listeners, Pete's fired up. I know. <laughs> that's, that is where it is right now. So uh, I just want to get this camp started really well and, and, and really get orchestrated beautifully so that we can handle it and help everybody be safe. This time of year, I think any time of year, Pete Carroll fired up. We're used to that here in Seattle. Another big story surrounding the Seahawks, following them around as of now, would be their interest in safety Jamal Adams. Our own Jake Heaps reporting that the Seahawks were on the phone and interested in potentially trading for Adams, Manish Mehta, who covers the Jets for the New York Daily News. He joined Bob, Dave, and more recently to chat about that potential. Manish Mehta is here. Manish, how are you, sir? 
I'm good, guys. How are you? Uh, we're we're doing good. We we just got done talking with your coworker there, Pat Leonard, talking about that story. So uh, we'll we'll see how that plays out with with Quentin Dunbar and and Baker and that whole mess. But uh, Jamal Adams has been a big story out there and certainly around the league. He's made it clear he wants out of New York. He had a list of what I think about seven teams that he'd be willing to go to. The Seattle Seahawks being one of them, and there was. Some uh, uptick in attention out here, our very own Jake Heap saying he's talked to some people, maybe affiliated with that organization perhaps, that said Seahawks are most definitely burning up the phone lines in that in that order. What, what do you think? Uh, do you know much about the Seahawks' interest or what's gone on between the two teams to this point? Well, I would be surprised, I guess I should preface this by saying, I would be surprised if uh, the Jets general manager, Joe Douglas, traded Jamal Adams, uh, obviously, Adams isn't particularly pleased with how uh, things have unfolded this offseason, but uh, we're talking about a 24-year-old, two-time Pro Bowl player, three years into his career, uh, a guy who's clearly the best player on the roster. So uh, I don't think it makes much sense from a Jets perspective to trade Jamal Adams unless uh, Joe Douglas gets uh, you know really an offer that he can't refuse. Uh, he's certainly not going to sell him uh, you know for 50 cents or 75 cents on the dollar. So uh, I don't think he's going to be moved. That being said, of course, teams like Seattle would be interested. I think uh, you can make a fair case that half the league would be interested in getting Jamal Adams. But uh, you know, I just don't think the team is going to move him unless, again, they get an offer that just blows them away. Yeah, Manish, I was looking at watching him play, and I see the C on his chest, and only in his third year, so he's a captain, his dad. Here's how old I am. I played against his dad, who was a running back in the league. It seems like just a great leader, too, and, and, and everything good, great kid. Um, when did it turn south? Is it just simply the money, or are there other things about the Jet organization that made him want to get out of there? Uh, well, it's definitely not just about money, Uh now, look, obviously he wants to get compensated, so, it's, so to frame this in saying it's not uh, about money, you know, that, that's not necessarily accurate, but it's clearly not all about money. It's really about the poor communication between the franchise and the player. Uh, the last five or six months have been particularly odd, uh, you know, given the information that, that I know that has happened behind the scenes. It's peculiar that the organization would take this tack with their best player. Uh, I, I just think that when the communication isn't clear, when it becomes muddied, that's when the frustration initially begins. Uh, and then uh, you know things kind of bubble to the surface where you get a player like Adams uh, asking the team uh, to look for a trade, as he did a few weeks ago, when the communication gets fractured. And the only way that the communication gets fractured is when the team does not give a clear message to the player. Or and or when the team gives conflicting messages to the player, uh, you know I can't speak to why the Jets have decided to go down this path with Jamal Adams because, as you said, uh, and you're absolutely correct, he is a captain because he is the emotional leader of the team. Nobody works harder than Jamal Adams. The, the guy has an incredible work ethic. He does not take for granted that he's the best player on the team. So it's not as if he's showing up late and leaving early. Uh, he is really a galvanizing force uh, in that organization, in that locker room. Anybody who's been around him for three years uh, will tell you that. Extremely emotional, uh, regardless of what his social media presence is. You know, I couldn't care less about that. But the reality is that he loves football, and he is 
about bringing everybody, offense, defense, young players, older players, together. And uh, the idea of alienating that type of person in your building is really strange to me. But the reality is that over the past six months, uh, for whatever reason, uh, the organization has done that. That was Manish Mehta from the New York Daily News uh, covering the Jets for them. His co-worker also joined ESPN Seattle last week. In the case of Quinton Dunbar and New York Giants cornerback DeAndre Baker, things just keep getting weirder. And we'll hear from one of the reporters who covered a breaking news story last week on Friday. It's next in the Hollis right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. From the Alaska Airlines studio, this is The Blitz. It's time for The Hot List. Holy mackerel! The headlines for the day in sports every morning at 645. Heck yes! What are we missing here? A full breakdown of the top stories of today on your morning drive. Let's go! For Seattle Seahawks cornerback Quentin Dunbar and New York Giants cornerback DeAndre Baker are denying a report of a cover-up in the alleged robbery involving the two NFL players that happened back in May. The New York Daily News obtained a search warrant that cited previous evidence gathered in the case, and they reported last week that a witness in the robbery, Dominic Johnson, oversaw a payout of $55,000 to the four alleged victims at the office of Dunbar's attorney, Michael Grieco, in the days after the robbery. New York Daily News reporter Pat Leonard joined 710 ESPN Seattle last week to explain the warrant that they obtained. Uh, here was Pat. Contains testimony from the four alleged victims that they were paid off a total of $55,000 in order to sign an affidavit that, if you, as you guys know, recanting their testimony from two days prior um, and, you know, so it was one guy got paid 30 grand or said he did. Another guy said he got paid 20 grand and then two guys split five grand. According to Pat Leonard, the warrant also says there's video of this all happening. It's um, orchestrated or overseen by a witness in the case, Dominic Johnson, who told police that he's known Baker and Dunbar for since they were children. And it actually includes video evidence. And this all occurred on video at the office of Dunbar's attorney, Michael Grieco. And it shows Dunbar's attorney, this is according to the warrant, shows Dunbar's attorney, the four alleged victims, Johnson and an unnamed person with a bag full of money going into Grieco's office. Pat Leonard also said there is a lot of incriminating evidence on social media. In addition to that, it also contains a ton of incriminating information uh, from the Instagram account of Johnson, the witness who oversaw the alleged payoff, and even DeAndre Baker from the Giants. But Johnson essentially spells out um, that he that he paid these people off, that he got them. At one point, he says to save them, boys didn't have anything to do with it. Um, so, pretty alarming stuff um, coming out of this case here. 
Also, uh, Michael Grieco responding to that, the attorney for Adamar, saying the report is false. He told the Seattle Times, quote, law enforcement, both local and federal, was advised from day one and beyond that the alleged victims in this case were actively extorting Baker and Dunbar. These men fabricated a robbery story after waiting an hour to call police and then immediately began contacting the players demanding money. My office obtained accurate and truthful affidavits consistent with the independent witness and my client's account. These victims are seasoned career criminals who have been arrested and are convicted of crimes ranging from conspiracy to commit murder to human trafficking to filing a a false police report. Baker's attorney, Bradford Cohen, says that they, too, have been in contact with federal and local authorities from the start about the blackmail attempt from the alleged victims. Cohen claims no payment or offer of money was made from Baker. um, But Pat Leonard on the direct connections to Dunbar and Baker listed. The the direct connection, like for... Like in Baker's instance, for example, the fact that he is sending a message the same day of the payoff to Johnson, essentially saying, um, well, actually, let me, let me just give you the exact wording so I don't put words in his mouth. Uh, he says, I'm in the city now getting cash. How much to bring? I'm trying to get there to you ASAP. And then also the warrant says that after the payoff occurred, that Johnson, the, the, who oversaw the payoff, called Dunbar when it was when it was done. So there's at least a record of a phone call there. Um, and so details like that that specifically tie Quentin Dunbar and DeAndre Baker to the scheme like this, not just that it was surrounding them. Also saying uh, Pat Leonard did source from the Giants, telling him they don't expect DeAndre Baker to be with the team much longer. What is next in this case that just continues to have more twists and turns? You have to think, okay, Grieco, the attorney, has to be in trouble, and there's got to be a case involving him down the road. Dominic Johnson, the witness who oversaw the alleged payoff, who's on video as a part of it, um, who also witnessed or the victims at the scene actually told police that he took and hid one of the cell phones that would have been in evidence from one of the suspects at the scene. Um, so you have to think that he will be separately prosecuted as well. The state's attorney's office has yet to decide whether to go forward toward trial in each player's case, both uh, players out on bail as of now. Kamaru uh, Usman outlasted and beat Jorge Masvidal uh, in UFC 251 over the weekend, and it was the premiere of Fight Island. I feel like I can't even do it justice in saying that. I need Dana White with the drop on that. But uh, but a big premiere over the weekend. Uh, a lot of people uh, wondering or wondering if Masvidal would be able to unseat Usman, but uh, he said he gave him props afterwards. I knew I, I was cutting a lot of weight, so I wanted to take him out fast, come in there hard, and he stuck to the game plan, fought a beautiful fight, was able to wear me out, was able to take my explosiveness away. You know, I would, uh, I'm not going to make excuses, but I, I'm going to get on the winning track and fight him with a full camp, seven, eight weeks to prepare for him and, and make the weight cut smooth and uh, give him my all once again. I know after going with him now five rounds, I know what it takes to beat him, and I could beat him. He's I mean, a great competitor. He, uh, he showed some different things in the fight. I'm just not convinced that I can't beat him with a full training camp, so I would love nothing more than instead of six days, six weeks, it'll happen if i got to win another fight or so, whatever i got to do to get back on the high horse and, and compete against this man again. I mean, that's that's off to him, though. Props. All the props to him. Usman defeated Masvidal via unanimous decision uh, in the main event of UFC 251's very early Sunday morning Abu Dhabi uh, United Arab Emirates. With the win, Usman retained his UFC welterweight title. 
The Washington professional football team expected to officially announce their decision to change their nickname this morning, although no new name will be revealed just yet. According to ESPN, Sports Business Daily reported that the new name would not be announced yet because trademark issues are still pending. Adam Schefter reported last week that the franchise would not use any Native American imagery, though. As of now, the team also planning to retain the use of their burgundy and gold team colors. The franchise said back on July 31st it would undergo a thorough review of its 87-year-old name after several complaints, including ones which we'll dig into uh, about investors and shareholders. It was a a letter signed by 87 investors and shareholders with a total worth of $620 billion was sent to sponsors like FedEx, PepsiCo, and Nike asking them to stop doing business with the team unless the team name was changed. That forced team owner Dan Snyder to change his tune because for years he had resisted even considering changing the name. Back in 2013, he told USA Today, put it in all caps, quote, that he would never make such a move. On July 2nd, FedEx issued a statement saying it had told the team it wanted its name changed. Amazon said it would stop selling Washington merchandise. Walmart and Target also said they would stop selling its merchandise in their store. And according to the Washington Post, FedEx even said it would remove its signage from the stadium unless the name was changed for this season. And FedEx had signed a 27-year deal worth just over $200 million back in 1998. So now uh, a new name expected, or at least the official name change, going to be announced later today, though we still do not know what it is as of now. Wondering if still some big-name players might opt out of their respective seasons, uh, whether in the MLB, things still getting underway, summer camp getting underway. We did hear from one big-name player last week, Buster Posey of the San Francisco Giants, on opting out of the 2020 season. So I know it's been mentioned um, how I've missed several practices over the last week, and I want to address that. Um, a week ago today, identical twin girls were born um, that my wife and I are adopting. And the adoption actually became official yesterday afternoon. Um And my wife, myself, and our older children are just um, overwhelmed with joy to welcome them to our family, to love them unconditionally, um, and just just share life with them. Um, The twins were born prematurely. Um, Thank God they are doing really well. Um, But they're going to have to be in the NICU for quite some time. Um, And after much discussion with my wife and doctors, a decision that I've wrestled with, um, quite a bit um, since I knew that this adoption was on the table. Um, I've decided to opt out of the 2020 baseball season. Um, we feel this is the best decision for these babies um, and, and for our family as well. Yeah, extremely personal decision for each player. That was something that Mariners Kyle Seeger had mentioned last week that each person has to wait individually in a pretty unique situation there that Buster Posey is in. And congrats to him and his wife on their adoption. That's exciting. Scott Service, meanwhile, uh, said that they didn't really have that issue with some Mariners players. They're now 10 days into Mariners summer camp, which seems pretty crazy. Uh, But that it's a lot about getting the young people reps so far. This was uh, about Logan's Logan Gilbert's performance on Saturday. He really did. Uh, you know, we knew Logan was a little bit farther along, just you know, through his workouts and the amount of throwing he'd been doing. But um, I thought he threw the ball great yesterday. Um, you know, had good fastball. He's been working on his slider quite a bit, talking to the pitching coaches and whatnot. He threw a couple of those really nice ones late in the count to to get strikeouts with. So. Um, 
really positive outing for him. Uh, Logan is so serious. Um, it's hard to get him to crack a smile or anything even after his outing, but uh, uh, a lot of good things there. And, you know, he's healthy and continue to build on on that outing as we build his innings, you know, throughout the summer. So um, he's got huge upside. Um, I love his demeanor, uh, how he goes about his work every day. And he does not take a day off. Uh, even the days he's not throwing sides, you know, he's, he's constantly – Weekend and are talking to our pitching coaches about things that he wants to get better at and tighten up in his game. So uh, really a bright future for him. Said that for a lot of those young guys, especially those young arms, it's just a lot about logging those innings. So good to see Logan Gilbert get those in over the weekend. And they'll continue uh, to to try to get those young guys reps. Meanwhile, on the offensive side of things, one man on a mission, that would be Kyle Lewis hitting another jack yesterday. This time off of Marco Gonzalez. You know, a little different without as many fans in the stands yesterday, but uh, a big moment for Kyle Lewis and Marco Gonzalez on the other side of that uh, on what it was like having Kalu hit a home run off of him. Yeah, I knew you were going to ask me about him. Um, <laughs> I, let, I should say I, I'm glad he's on my team, man. This, is, uh, this has been fun to watch. The kid is really something special. Um, he's got my early vote for, uh, for Rookie of the Year. If he's eligible for that, I don't know, but... Um, I, I just, I'm, I'm, we're blessed to, to be able to face him right now because he's hot and uh, he's given us some real competition on the mound. So, uh, like I said, though, I'm glad he's on my team. It's going to be fun to watch this year. Marco also asked how he feels in terms of his preparation, says he was really diligent with his offseason, so he feels good. His pitches felt good on Sunday. It is a little weird to have to self-motivate with nobody in the stands. Yeah, it is. Um, it, it's, it's a good challenge, you know. Um, to be able to kind of self-motivate and uh, get yourself, you know, fired up, uh, stay in the moment, and and really kind of uh, bring up the intensity. So it'll be a good challenge for us, but something we obviously need to get used to. Mariners summer camp continuing today. Not that many days left. It was cool to listen to that intra-squad game on Friday. Rick Riz, Aaron Goldsmith, Gary Hill filling up speakers. So so grateful for them. That's a wrap for the Hot List and the entire Blitz at 6 Hour. Danny and Gallant coming your way next right here on 710 ESPN Seattle.